This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So yesterday morning, we told you about Friday night's news about Monday's move last week, eight days ago now. Paul Bernardo got moved. He's been in jail since 1993. He has a life sentence. They have given him parole hearings in 2018 and 2021. But he has the most serious sentence you can have as a convicted criminal in Canada. And again, you'd be absolutely understood and you'd be absolutely believed if you said to yourself, well, I know he'll never get out and I know he'll never uh, be on the streets again. But you'd also be okay to say, I know he'll never not be in a maximum security prison. And you were wrong because last Monday he moved to a medium security prison. Now, medium security prisons are meant to prep you for minimum security prisons. Minimum security prisons, to some extent, are meant to prep you for integrating back into society. This is all I've heard. And I saw a statement yesterday put out. So I'll give you sort of the lay of the land of what happened since we talked to you last. The Correctional Service of Canada did put a statement out in that they plan to review this particular decision. So they're going to do a review, and they recognize that they um, that they know that the decisions have an impact on victims. They didn't really make uh, an apology here at all. They're just giving you, hey, this is why we do what we do. It falls really short of, to me, empathy. It falls really short of any sort of, you know, co- like plea uh, to our, our our humanity. And I, I get that a lot of this has to be by the book. I understand that. But the commissioner has ordered an additional review of his security class to make sure that this was based on evidence and adequately considering the victims. Well, I, can I weigh in? It didn't. It doesn't. If, he, if it stays this way, it won't. And all of that. Um, but I, but I love the notion in the statement. Here's some of what was sent yesterday. We want to assure Canadians that this offender continues to be incarcerated in a secure and controlled institution with every precaution in place to maintain public safety. Thanks. Like that's the minimum we would expect or ask. You're doing the absolute minimum. Well done. You ever go to an employee review with somebody who's your superior and you might really love that person. They're like, you're doing the absolute minimum. Keep it up. That's not good enough. That's not good enough on any levels. By the way, if maximum and medium security are the same and the and the statement goes on to document, hey, this doesn't change and that doesn't change, so why move him? Why move him? There's no I I'm not don't think we've been terribly knocking at the door to give Paul Bernardo some more outside time. I don't think we've said, "Hey, you know what's missing in Paul Bernardo's life? Interaction with others." Oh, you know what would be fun? Intramural sports. Or working in the kitchen. No, 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 no. This, no. And the victims were notified after they moved him. And the uh, minister whose portfolio it is to be in on these decisions says, I didn't know anything about it. So there's a lot of problems here. Here's Marco Mendicino yesterday from the federal government explaining that he did make the call, you know, seven days after the move, didn't know anything about it, and laid out what he wanted to, to have done here. We need to explain to uh, all Canadians how it is that the Correctional Services of Canada arrives at these decisions. This morning, what I did was, I stressed to the Commissioner what those concerns are, and how the families of Leslie Mahaffey and Kristen French 
uh, would find this shocking and incomprehensible. And she absorbed that, and she said that she would review the decision, and I think going forward it will be up to the Correctional Services of Canada to explain to Canadians exactly how these decisions are taken. Okay, I understand all of that. All that. Here's two ways that that's not good enough. Demand. Demand. Don't ask how they came to that decision. Demand they reverse it. And if you can't do that, if, you, if you're not comfortable saying that publicly when you're the Minister of Public Safety, find a new Minister of Public Safety. And if the Minister of Public Safety can't change the law, change the law that allows the Minister of Public Safety to do it. Tim Danson's the lawyer for uh, the Mahaffey and French families. He said exactly that on television yesterday. Uh, we need to get to the bottom of the reasons and the criteria that were used. And uh, and I, I and if the minister uh, doesn't have and and and, and the government uh, and parliament uh, doesn't have the authority to direct that that this decision be rescinded, then we have to change the law. Uh, it's that simple. This cannot be allowed to be in the hands of corrections uh, without any government oversight. And this is a classic example why you need oversight. Absolutely, it is. You ever heard of checks and balances? Of course you have. You're able to respond to the actions of the other branches to make certain that one doesn't go too far. That's the concept. Like the, the states has this right. The president can veto legislation created by Congress. The Supreme Court can step in and change laws as well. And the president can change members of the Supreme Court. It ain't perfect, but it's something. Peter McKay used to uh, be the justice minister in the Stephen Harper government. And he's got this exactly right, and he questions, questions some of the validity of what Mendicino says. I don't think he's in, in, in any position to be a, a risk as far as escape, but what does it say to the victims and the families uh, of, uh, of these innocent victims that he, that he slaughtered? And, and, you know, it just it makes my skin crawl to think about that guy. However, it is a, a public safety um, department concern when the parole board is acting like this the minister seemed to be completely taken by surprise uh, i find that frankly hard to believe with a high profile inmate such as him uh, i also believe that this is something that the, the cabinet should be discussing yeah and i'll tell you what in an emergency do you think firefighters stop fighting fires over the weekend do, do cops not arrest people or give speeding tickets on the weekend mendicino makes this call yesterday you know about it on friday you didn't if, if this guy finds out everything from the media and newspapers, we need a new guy. It, it's just that simple. There's no other way to describe it than that. You can give us a text at 416-870-6400 with your thoughts on this. I'm not terribly confident that this decision is going to be uh, overrode here because Mendocino didn't seem very forceful in what he told the media yesterday about what he told Commissioner Kelly. So we'll see. Sheba Siddiqui is with me this morning, as she always is. And what's your reaction? Like, like we can hold out hope that they reverse the decision, but there's not much great reasoning in the last 24 hours as why they made it in the first place. I don't see them reversing that decision. Look, they knew this has been probably in the works for a while now, and they were just keeping it quiet. And they knew there's going to be some backlash from the public on this, and they're getting in it. I feel like they're prepared for it. And every day that goes by, we're going to learn more and more. Uh, but I'm just so curious. I've been so curious about mm -hmm. why he was moved to a medium security prison. So you get more mobility and opportunity there. And this is from a, an Osgood Hall Law School professor who came forward and has been sort of talking about this. Uh, and he said that in a medium security prison, prison prisoners can, they can roam around, they can spend less time locked up. 
and they have more programming and employment options. Uh, now, in a maximum security prison, you spend 23 hours a day in your cell. So that is a big difference as well. You won't be locked up all day long. Uh, but it's also the same perimeter controls that a maximum security institution has that a, me- that a medium one does, like high fences, armed controls, correctional officers that are armed and equipped with proper security equipment. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know is that, I mean, this is, I love to ski. So this place that he's been moved to is around the corner from Mont Tremblant Airport. Okay, yeah. Uh, and Everybody goes there to ski. Right? Yeah. It's, it's right there. Uh, and this it only houses 240 inmates. So it, you're going to be smaller it's going to be more intimate uh people are saying experts are saying not people i hate it when people say people are saying (laughs) legal experts have been saying that they uh, suspect that he'll be in isolation even in medium security let's see what happens yeah so but again if nothing changes terribly why move him and i and i heard the reasoning sheba was well we didn't say anything monday for fears about his safety and i'm thinking how can you weigh that as a higher priority than telling the families or how the families would feel. For the families to find out Friday through the media is no good. No. Is no good at all. To relieve this over and over again because of this man. Yeah, yeah. And and again, having to go to parole hearings every two or three years when they buried their daughter, um, both families buried their daughters almost four decades ago. It's no good. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, We'll get to our in-out in just a sec. I was just mentioning to you guys how I saw yesterday. I thought maybe an in or out would be like like VR, because Apple put this uh, commercial out, and I saw it a million times yesterday. I probably watched the first eight seconds of it because it kept coming up in my feed or I'd see it in a TV commercial. Sheba and Gord, they've put together a $3,500 Vision Pro VR headset Apple has that they say will push virtual reality into the mainstream, but not for the price. I just, no. I just don't think adults... I don't think adults are going to wander around at 35 their house with these goggles on and and play with virtual reality. I could be wrong. It's not a me thing at all. Not in the least. I can't pay 3500 bucks for that. Well, what if and, it was and less? Would you still kid. do it? Does it If it was what less? Uh I'd be curious about it. So we have an Oculus at home. It is it is a VR headset, VR goggles, and it's really cool to play games on it, to immerse mm-hmm. yourself into different worlds. It took me a while to really get used to it. Uh, but I, I didn't pay 3500 bucks for it, and nor would I ever. You know, like, like Gord, is a VR interesting at all to you? I, I don't know if that means, like, more video game people, gamers might think this is for me. But they're, like, they're saying, we'll put your computer screen in there. So you're just, like, moving your finger in midair, and you're able to touch things and change things. And it's just not me. It's just not. I'm not going to walk around my house with this on. Yeah, they were saying, too, you can also watch a, you know, a movie and go and have your virtual yeah. meeting. It's just... It's what it's doing is too. It's it's. I don't know if you can link them together, but it's not a shared experience with anybody. It's not like sitting with your buddies and watching the hockey game where that's a shared experience. You're doing this all alone, and it's what is it doing to your eyes? Yes. Oh my goodness. So we had. Um. I went into the optometrist for an eye check. I had LASIK like 23 years ago, and we also got new glasses for our kids. But they say they're seeing. She was so many. How many of your four kids have need like, corrective lenses? One out of four. My daughter so wears far. glasses. Yeah. And you do. Does your husband? Uh, he does. Yes. You don't need yours all the time. Or but I've had, no, I use mine for driving. Right. Exactly. That's what I would say about me or, or you go to a sporting event and you're like, I can't see the puck and you put the glasses on, you can see them. But I bring that up because the optometrist and the eye doctor was like, you don't know how many more kids we see now. 
because of screens. Yeah. 100%. Whether it's the blue light, whether it's it's just there's something more kids need glasses than ever before. And I think they're cooler than they've ever been before. That's true. Right? Like we just we had this stigma, no pun intended, in the 70s and 80s like you're you know, put put if you watch a kids movie or a teen movie from the 70s or 80s, put somebody in horn rim glasses and that's the nerdy character. And it's changed because glasses are great now. Oh, but it's such a pain. Like I, my kids all play sports, so my daughter who wears glasses, it is a pain mm. to get that hockey helmet on her sometimes with those glasses on. So if you're, I feel like if you're an active person, it's it can be a hindrance. I can imagine. All right, let's do in or out. Are you in or out? Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. So are we in or out? You're out. You are over and out. No, 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 no. Insulted him a little bit. I'm okay with it, but now you're making me feel weird about it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, you know what to do. You go in on an issue, out on an issue, and you text the show. Weigh those texts. We read some of them later. It's our kind of our daily uh, debate at the table, and it's all about this this morning. No, uh, oh. not not but just whether you enjoyed the X Files or not. That's not coming back. Oh. Although that unresolved sexual tension with David Duchovny and Gillian Anderson. They, it just can't get enough, really. They tried it with a couple of movies, and they did. Re- they had a six-episode. It's harder. It's so, just eh. wait. By unresolved, you mean they never hooked up? I think for a while it was unresolved. I can't remember. I think there were a couple on the show in the late going. Yeah, and the movies. I think they had a child. But oh, what? Yeah, um, <laughs> like Brad Bradford and his wife. Is that? <laughs> um, okay, so UFO stories. I I I think. I wonder if anybody thought at any point in time, well, that's from a different era. They never seem to go out of style. And there's a new one now that has a whistleblower who's with, I don't know, some fancy business card title, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, the NGA, um, who says, we have in our possession like crafts, ships of non-human origin. Well, I don't think a bunch of turtles or, or like geese are getting together and building spacecraft. So that leaves it open for speculation about aliens. So it's a kind of a bombshell UFO report. And I keep waiting for because you you look at these things and you're like, nah, it, we know we travel to space. Do they know about us? But we don't know about them. So our in or out this morning is simply this. Do you believe like if you're in, I think we're I, I think we are not the only intelligent life in the galaxy and aliens exist. And if you're out, you're like, no way. This is Earth. And that's that. I'll go last. OK, Sheba, I'll go first. I am in. I do believe there are other life forms out there. How could you not? It'd be very egotistical to think we are the only living beings on planet Earth in the entire solar system in this universe. So I do believe that there are other forms of life. Now, when people see UFO sightings and such, I don't, that I'm a little skeptical about. I'm sure that some of them are actually unidentified flying objects. Balloons. Yeah, but other things, I'm not too sure. Maybe you've had one too many that night and who knows what you see in the sky <laughs> and you see that. But did you know that Toronto is the number one, uh, it took the top spot on the list for the most UFO sightings ever in the country. In the do, you, country. do you people call nine one one or is this just yes, a survey? I think they do. do they call the I Toronto think, police? I think many people will call nine one one. Toronto leads it, and then Vancouver <laughs> follows after that, and then Terrace, British Columbia. What are you people having to drink and or eat for dinner in Terrace, BC? Any huh. UFO sighting? There is a one guy in our entire country. Okay, the Canadian federal government sends everything to this one guy, Chris Rutkowski. 
who was the head of ufology research of Manitoba. <laughs> He's the one guy that gets everything. Gord, are you in or out? I am in. Uh, just you the, guys, okay. Just when they reveal all these planets that are, that can support life that they found, just the the numbers alone would dictate that the, there has to be some kind of life, and they're not coming because they just watch the the, the crap that we oh. put out in television, and they go, they're not ready yet. I don't think they they're have cable. I don't think, I'm not saying they're cord cutters. Yeah. I just don't think they have, they're seeing our television shows cord. <laughs> Do you think they're sitting up there going, ha, they still don't know about us? That's not a thing. That can't be a thing. Well, how do we know? We don't know. Well, I know we don't know, but it's sort of like if you need to see the existence of things. But that's, again, that's what this guy says. We've got a, you know, a chunk of a spacecraft of non-life origin. The guy worked for the government. These are top secret clearance. I believe it. Retired. How do all these retired army colonels come up with the same story? Now, you guys must admit, it's one thing to see something in the sky and see these sightings. When someone comes on TV and says, oh, I was I was abducted. I just woke up. They pulled me out of my bed sheets. I said, can I grab, you know, a top? And uh, and then they like march me onto the ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I watch. <laughs> I'm still watching. It's good ratings. It's good fodder it's and amazing, banter. But though. I don't believe no. them ever. You yeah. ever really. There's this no. one guy on the East Coast. I think he's in Nova Scotia or Newfoundland. <sighs> and he's got a story about this happened in the <laughs> 1960s. And he has these permanent markings on his body. It's a very, it's a very, if you take a deep dive into it, it's so interesting. And he had this experience. He was in the woods. I believe he worked in the woods. I don't know if he was a farmer. He was a, mm. I don't know what he did, but it's, it's, a, it's a good cover. When the doctor says, how'd you get those marks? Well, oh, I was really, abducted by aliens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or your wife's like, what's this? What's all the, not lipstick on the collar, but what's all this uh, spacecraft uh, business Alien. on your collar? Yeah. Aliens. I don't. Yeah. So will we ever learn the full truth? Are aliens among us in for yes? That's that's a total different layer of a question. In for yes, that uh, life exists on other planets. Out, you do not believe that. And we are uh, Team Earth and Team Earth only. Dave, do you want to compromise all credibility and integrity by weighing in on the alien question? Are you a believer? Yeah, yeah, totally. You do? Yeah, 100%. Okay, I'm I'm outnumbered here. I don't. something out there. But we're looking and we spend... Yeah, but money we, and time and we capital. We look at the bottom of the ocean and we still find stuff, and that's here on Earth. So, I mean, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, nothing on Mars. Though I feel like we've tried the Mars thing. There's no such thing as a Martian. We'd have seen something. Yeah, it's true. We're trying. Yeah, to, I think we've been up there long enough. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, you're you're probably right on that one. Saturn, Jupiter. I'm I'm willing to keep an open mind. Hey, you know, maybe even outside the solar, the, the, the way out. Do people live in the rings of Saturn I, I or just know. on the planet? Cool. Can you get like, a, like condo? a merry-go-round? Yeah, you, know, you just sit there on a chair. It's and like it... living on Toronto Island compared <laughs> to the main city itself. <laughs> uh, you have to, yeah. Get a ferry on the way back. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Two-year commemoration of an alleged terrorist attack. By the way, this uh, trial is taking forever to get there. Um, But we all know how we felt and how we talked about it. And it just kind of hung over uh, all of our heads. And I know the community of London felt this way. They have a new mayor. Um, Josh Morgan is the new mayor and was elected last November. Um, so he knows the city really well and is taking this on today, uh, with a vigil tonight. And, uh, we'll talk about, um, what happened in London with him in just a little bit. Um, I can't believe it's been two years. Yeah, it was such a different time, right? Because two years feels like four years ago. Like if you said summer of 21, you're like, like it gives you the heebie-jeebies to think about. We're all, we all, a lot of us probably had 
you know, our first vaccination shot by then. Maybe we were getting our second in the summer. Um, this awful thing happens. It's five family members out for a walk, uh, struck by a vehicle. And a day later, like I, I remember talking to somebody from London and and he was very much like, there's something not right about it. And then you think, oh, God, like it, it's it's a tragedy either way, Sheba. But when you find out it's deemed as deliberate and there's four counts of first degree murder and one count of attempted murder and this and this poor boy. Yeah, I, I know. Like I'm there's part of me that's, you know, it's so hard to talk about. There's part of me that's how's he doing at 11? But how would anybody be doing? When they've lost their grandmother, their father, their mother, and his 15-year-old sister, who'd be a 17-year-old right now. Um, and he was nine. He's not 11 I'm now. I'm nine years old. You don't you don't ever bounce back from that. Yeah. And I understand he's living with relatives in Mississauga, I believe. Oh, he moved out of London, which I think you'd have to do. I mean, we talk about those things all the time. If something terrible happened in front of your school, how yeah. could you even have the school? Anymore? I think the closest family you know? is in Mississauga, so that's where he moved. But I don't, you don't, you'll, you never recover from this. No. So um, we'll, we'll talk about it. I, I told you the story. I don't know if I told you the story. I know I told it on the air about a week later, and this is when we, you know, maybe even our, I don't remember if our gyms were open at the time or not. But people just were walking more, and they were biking more, and they were just in parks more. It's beautiful weather, um, but. I remember biking really fast around the corner on like a Saturday night around 6.30 p.m. And I know uh, Lance Armstrong. Yeah, I know Lance Ar- in, in, a- in <laughs> Ajax Whitby area. Okay. But I know I frightened the family with how fast the bike was going. And I almost, like you almost want to stop. You slow down. My brakes are loud also. So, but I was going too fast. Never expected to see. And sometimes when families walk, and all families do this, they walk like, horizontally not yes. vertically so yes. you're like oh like you, you don't think i'm coming but my wife and i were walking the other day and there was like a family of seven with this lovely old grandmother out and i'm like you like we need sort of a I, we can't get around that's you. us <laughs> that's us we're the six of us like on the sidewalk right and i have to tell the kids guys push over somebody's coming push over somebody's coming but but i you know you have to then transform your sort of heart and soul and go how fr- was that frightening for them? Because I've never had to, again, the things I think about that I've never had to worry about, that I've never had to be fearful of, is someone running me down because of the color of my skin or the clothes I'm no, wearing. But when you're I've on never a had to give it a second thought. Bicycle, no. I think they genuinely see that as for what it is. You were just going too fast thinking oh, you were Oh, they do, but it jarred story. them. It of jarred course, them. because yeah. I mean, they don't want to get hit by a bike. That's different. But when you see a car coming at you or a truck in this case... Especially after what's happened two years ago today, well, you're going to think twice. Well, would you tell me that, you know, people that, that it's described in this story in London as like visibly Muslim women and men. Yes. Felt like. 100%. To absolutely this day. Absolutely frightened and panicked. And, and then there, I think there was a story a month later about somebody going for a walk and two guys driving by in a pickup truck and yelling at them. Like, yes. that's the kind of crap. Oh, as I think as a visibly Muslim woman, it is terrifying in some areas. And if you're out in a, hij- it, if you're out in a hijab. That's what I mean. Yes, wearing a hijab at the yeah. grocery store or whatnot. I mean, it happens. It happens every day. NCCM, National Council of Canadian Muslims, dis- t- releases information on this on almost a daily basis about the Islamophobia in this country and what is happening to visibly Muslim people and how some of them live in fear. And the experiences that they have at, at the bank, at the mall, at the grocery store, just everyday things that they're doing and at school. And these things are happening, these instances. Yeah. Uh, and and Encounters. I, it's sort of, we touched on it with Marcy Ian. We're like, 
and you know we've had these conversations, you and me, on the air and off the air. I think people are better than they used to be. I think they ask better questions. I think they want to know more. But I look what it had, th- look what I, what it had I to know, take. I know. I think they're more accepting as a whole, but we don't know how to countenance that with people just are doing emboldened things that I feel like they weren't 25, 30 years ago. I, I really have, don't. I don't. Uh, no, I don't think. I agree with you that the, there, and I think there's a, is it's a mixture of so many things. There's the social media and the mental health, and then the combination of the pandemic with all of that. I think there's so many unaddressed issues that that are happening right now in our society. But the one thing that I always try to remind myself: we have more in common than we don't. Yeah. So that neighbor of yours, that that weird neighbor that you walk by and they dress a little funny and they have an accent or they don't speak English or sometimes their their house smells because the food smells weird. I promise you, you have more in common with them than you don't. I promise you that. Look past that. Look past the food and the clothes and the accent and the color of their skin and their belief in whatever it is and you will find something in common that you can laugh over. Yeah, it, it, it tends to bring people together. And what I find now is we have we find 20 things, we disagree on two of them, and that means I don't like your two things and now I don't like you. That's it. I Forget the 18. That, w- that makes sense because you could have four couples could sit there and you could they could all put a quiz in. Hey, well, how do you feel about, like a totally anonymous quiz. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? What about religion? What about men? What about women? What about how you raise kids? All that stuff. What about... political issues and they'd be very very different but they can sit down and have a meal and and maybe even debate some of those issues respectfully that's it and we we're just we've and find the common denominators yeah i'm telling you you guys like the your favorite show is the same your favorite music your favorite uh, comedian whatever you have a lot in common you just have to get to that point and look past the outer judgments that you have i think i've told this story only once and it is not to relate to because we're talking about it now um, but I don't mind sharing it. One time, second year university, I remember this like it's, it's February 1993, and I'm walking back from uh, the house of a girl I was dating. It's about a 15, 20 minute walk. And a car pulls up beside me. I'm on the sidewalk, cold night, and these two guys blast me right away with every homophobic thing you can think about. Hey, where are you going? This name. Hey, what's, you know, cute ass that name whatever like they're taunting me it's clear it's homophobic it's not it's not a prank it's not and my instant thought like it it, like your back tightens up and you think can i outrun them because they're like they're about as far as you and i are away in the studio right now and i'm like if they both get out of their car can i outrun them it's the first instinct you have that's terrifying and i'm again I'm fast. I'm 20. I'm I'm reasonably athletic. I'm going to be able to get away from them unless they run their car. Bottom line, I think to, it's never happened since. It never happened before. But I think to myself, Sheba, if I'm if I'm a woman, does that happen 10 times a year? If yes. I'm if I'm actually gay holding someone's hand Imagine. walking down the street, am I getting that 40 times a year? Oh, more than that. Right. More than that, right. absolutely. Like, listen, I am... And I want to beat the crap out of those guys because that's also the reaction. Is like, let me take each of you one-on-one out of your car. You're probably both only here because you're in a car and there's two of you. But I wish I could have each of you one-on-one and I'll take my bruises and black eyes and whatever, but I want to beat the garbage out of you right now for doing this, not just to me, but to anybody. So imagine being part of the queer community and living with that fear every day. Sure. Imagine being a visibly Muslim woman running errands with your baby. And having to think about that and look over your shoulder. If I'm out with a woman who wears a hijab, I feel a difference. I feel it. I feel it in how mm-hmm. um, we are both treated. 
And it's funny when she's not with me, I'm fine. I, I, I'm, I'm everybody's best friend. But I feel that difference. I imagine what is it like for her living like that every single day? What do you think it like? What do you think it is? Wouldn't the same person though? Fear of the unknown. Fear of um, oh, this uh. re- this repressed woman. That's the judgment. That is the stereotype. This repressed woman and all of the stereotypes that mm. come with that. Whereas this is the biggest loudmouth amazing, incredible, successful, educated woman I know beside me, just yeah. get to know her. Have yeah. that conversation and you will see for yourself. But that it circles back also to me going, are we going to have a fraught relationship with pride and the police forever yeah. for the next five years, 10 years? This Can we find question. a way past we the have past to. injustices? We Can have we to. Because um, you want more protection and you want more police involved, but then you're telling you're telling people in your own community who are cops, we don't we don't want you here. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news today's talk six forty Toronto. Our next guest is putting his hat into the ring. Third person to do so. We were just talking about how much it really is and the strain and the drain to uh, to run for political office. But uh, our next guest has had some success with it, that's for sure. A two-time uh, Ontario MPP, and he's the current MP right now uh, for Ottawa Centre, and he will run for the Ontario Liberal leadership. He is Yasser Nakvi. It's great to have you on, Yasser. Thanks very much for making the time. Good morning, Greg. Thank you for having me. Yeah, happy to have you. What have the last uh, three or four days been like in terms of response? You were weighing pros and cons and going back and forth. What have the last few days been like for you? Well, for the last uh, six months or so, I've been traveling uh, the entire breadth of our uh, beautiful province, uh, talking to uh, to liberals, talking to uh, people who are non-liberals, uh, and seeking their advice and guidance on whether or not I sh- should seek the leadership of the Ontario Liberal Party and what issues are important to them. And uh, I received tremendous amount of support and encouragement to pursue this. And as you noted, uh, over the weekend, uh, I launched my campaign and it has been incredible. I mean, we had a couple of hundred people who came to our launch in Ottawa, which is my hometown. We had over 500 people um, came to our rally in Mississauga on a Saturday evening. It was a beautiful night and it was so heartening to see the number of people who were, who are with us, who have pledged their support to me. These are new people who are signing up and becoming members of the Ontario Liberal Party. And not to mention, I stopped in Belleville and went to Timmins also to to meet uh, with supporters and sign up new members. So I'm feeling very encouraged. But there's still a lot of hard work ahead. Yeah, uh, vote, voting is until November, so you've got a good uh, five uh, and a half months and change um, to make people decide you're the person. Now, you've been a federal politician for, if I if I do the math, you've been a federal politician for about 20 months. Some people might ask you, do you not like federal politics as much as provincial politics? Uh, I love public service. Uh, and, and Greg, I got into, uh, into elected office uh, to serve. Um, you know, when I was young uh, and before moving to Canada, my parents were involved in pro-democracy movement in the country I was born in. In fact, my father spent nine months as a political prisoner. I was 10 years old at that time. And one of the big lessons that I learned from my parents is that you never accept the status quo, that you step up, you work hard, and you do your very best to build a better future. And that's what has driven me to be in elected office is to defy uh, the status quo, is to challenge it and come up with better practical solutions uh, to improve the lives of our community and Mm. our province and country. And that's what's driving me now. 
Um, as I talk to people, I continue to hear stories about people struggling, struggling to find family doctors or nurses, kids struggling in overcrowded classrooms, young people working two or three jobs and are still struggling for, uh, to pay for rent uh, or groceries. There's a promise of Ontario that my family and I relied on to be successful, but I feel that the promise of Ontario is slipping and Doug Ford has broken that promise. And I'm running uh, to become the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party so that we can work towards restoring that promise. Yes, Renakvi, our guest on Toronto Today. So you moved from Pakistan when you were 15, 16 years old, around there? 15, yeah. One, I was one month shy of being a 16-year-old. Was that, was that hard? Um, was that harder? We, we're a more diverse society now in Ontario. And in, in you went to Niagara Falls, so I grew up in London. I just were a more diverse province than we were back then. Was that hard because of where you came from or the color of your skin in, at 15 or 16? Tell us. It was not easy. No okay. doubt about it. I mean, it was, it was absolutely uh, our life uh, being totally changed. But you know what? What drove my parents, Greg, to come to Canada is, again, they did not st- accept the status quo where we were living. They just knew that their children uh, would not have the kind of future that they wanted them to have. So they came to a country which is free, where political, move, political engagement is, is your right. Um, and what made it uh, incredible for us is our neighbors. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget uh, being in high school. And, you know, that could be a very difficult age for someone who does not speak a language properly. And that was the case in the beginning for my sister and I in particular, as we were younger, um, uh, and going to, to high school. But I'll never forget my two friends, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Chris and Anthony, two guys who walked up to me and said hello and invited me to sit uh, at the cafeteria table with them. Like, um, imagine the power of that gesture. Or Uncle Joe and Auntie Cleo, uh, who knocked at our door because they learned that new people have moved into town and they wanted to welcome us to the community. And they became so close that we still call them Uncle Joe and Auntie Cleo. I mean, these are the stories of a powerful community and a sense of belonging that I'm quite grateful for. And I want to make sure that that stays part of our Ontario culture. I like, I love that story. Um, like my, I, I would say this, my kid's 15, he plays on a soccer team that looks like, yeah, sir, it could be a United Nations meeting. Like there's there's people from seven, eight different countries, different, they celebrate different religious holidays. Some aren't religious at all, but it works, right? Like it's a, it's a melting pot. And I think sometimes I also think if we just leave kids alone, they'll kind of show us the way. They're a lot more grounded in reality and they just treat people as people. And sometimes we as adults have to do a better job of that. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, you know, I, I regularly say that diversity is a fact. As you just mentioned, if you look around your, your mm-hmm. son's soccer team, you can see people from different backgrounds. The real hard work is inclusion. You need to make sure that we take the proactive extra steps where we are celebrating each other. We, every single one of us is different. Uh, and that's not a bad thing. That is a good thing. What's important mm-hmm. is that we learn about each other's differences accept them and celebrate them because I think as people, we are, we are better as a result of it. Yasser Nakvi, our guest, he's running for the Ontario Liberal Leadership. So famously, and I remember this moment in the debate, and you might too, in 2018, Doug Ford turns to Kathleen Wynne, then the premier, and says, Kathleen, when did you lose your way? And I remember that moment, and I'd ask you, if, if the Liberal Party went from 55 seats to seven, and then only seven to eight after four years of Doug Ford's policies, that question has to have some accuracy. Do you think the Ontario Liberals just lost something along the way and, and you clearly stopped connecting with people? Why did you? 
Yeah, I think I think uh, towards the end there was that sense that uh, we uh, we lost uh, some sort of uh, touch with Ontarians, and and I've I've taken that lesson uh, quite to my heart. Uh, you know, I in my community of Ottawa Centre uh, knock on doors on a very regular basis, almost on a weekly basis, because I want to make sure that I'm hearing directly from people as to what's important uh, to them. And, and one of the things that I am absolutely focused on, and that's why I've been traveling the province for the last six months, is to ensure that we are always listening, we're always engaging, and we're always learning uh, from Ontarians. You know, I want to build a party that is a big tent party. It's an inclusive party. It's a party that reflects uh, Ontario, a party that focuses on practical solutions that would make uh, your life easier uh, to live. I'm going to actually ask now the same question to Doug Ford. When did he lose his way? Right. He started with this, this, this idea of that he's for the people. And the only thing we see right now that he's, he's in for his rich friends. And, and that's, uh, that's hurting people because the promise mm. of Ontario is slipping uh, away. And I want to restore that promise. I got a minute left, and I want to ask you about health care. Um, I, I think it needs a rethink. I think it needs a reframe. Of course, we never want to become what the United States is. But at the same time, I've asked every other candidate for this. I've asked Nate Erskine-Smith, your colleague in Ottawa, this, Bonnie Crombie, Ted Shu, and, and they seem to say, we certainly need to think about all options. Look at European models. We can't just say what the NDP says and says, let's just keep the same system and pour a bunch more millions and billions of dollars down it because there's something wrong with the system. Do you buy that notion? Uh, we, we, we need to work really, really hard to ensure that our, our healthcare system remains sustainable and available for everyone. And that's why we have to be creative. We have to look at solutions. Our population is growing yeah. and it's aging at the same time, right? So I think this is, becomes a responsibility to really reimagine our healthcare system for better, but a system that is there for people. It, it acts as, as the foundation, as a great equalizer, so that people can say, you know what, I pay all these taxes, the healthcare system, one of the, is the best, is there for me, mm-hmm. and I'll focus on other things. Right now, under Doug Ford, that is not the case. And the only thing we're seeing under Doug Ford yeah. is a privatization of a healthcare system, which is dangerous. Yasser Nakvi is running for the Ontario Liberal Leadership. He's the MP for Ottawa Centres. Pleasure having you on. I know it won't be our last conversation. And when you're in Toronto next, please come by and see us in the studio. We'd really like that. Really looking forward to that, Greg. Thank you. Thanks, Yasser. Appreciate it. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. A little later on, Josh Morgan, the mayor of London, will join us around 8.05 this morning. Today happens to be the uh, two-year commemoration of what I think we all could deem as a horrific moment uh, in our history. Um, It involved, in essence, the killing of four members of a five-member family um, with a uh, person in a pickup truck who is alleged to have done this on purpose in London, Ontario. I've driven, it's, it's in sort of Northwest London. I know the road. I, the, the, they still have commemorated with flowers and, uh, you know, like it's it's just horrific and a terrible moment for all of us. We probably all have that where were you moment when we heard about this uh, in 2021. Um, so we'll talk to Josh about how his community copes every single June 6th. Um, and we're only two years removed from it. Uh, we're always welcome, uh, always welcoming to our next guest, Minister of Women and Gender Equality and Youth and a member of the Liberal Cabinet. She is Marcy Ian. It is great to have you on the show. Thanks very much for making the time for us. 
Hey, Greg, it's great to be with you. And I heard you just mention that Josh will be on and thinking of of London and uh, friends and uh, family members of the Asheville family this morning. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for saying that. Um, yesterday, a big moment in that there was there were a lot of questions about funding uh, for Toronto's Pride celebrations. Uh, the parade comes our way uh, at the end of the month, so there is time on uh, on on um, to to get this done. But at the same time, people were worried about funding, and the federal government is kicking in one point five million dollars. Take us through the genesis of how that starts. Is it an ask from them or do you see their needs and make that offer to them? We've been working uh, with Pride Org since last March and even before that, Greg, the action plan uh, that we launched last August. But what we've seen is an increase in hate. Safety is on the minds of every Pride organization across this country, of course, including Toronto Pride and Sherwin Modest's team. So what we saw, Greg, was Fiote Canada Pride. Uh, Sherwin was involved in that, Toronto uh, Pride's head, uh, and others come to us with an ask. Mm-hmm. And it was a $1.5 million ask, and this is specifically, this is outside of the funding we provide for Pride festivals across the country. This was specifically for safety. This was specifically to boost security. And you've seen this as well. Yeah, yeah. The safety and security are are, are a massive issue. Um, how much does Pride and how much does, does Sherwin, the executive director, have to cost this out? Like how specific do they have to be? I there, there's Because there's not a lot of blank checks of public money floating around right now that people are comfortable with. So do they have to do they have to really document where they're spending it and why that is? So what they did is they costed out a plan for 65 pride organizations across the country. Fierte Canada Pride has the infrastructure to do this, and Toronto was one of them. And so from rural to urban, and remember, this is pride season. So in Toronto, um, pride happens, as you mentioned, at the end of June, but pride season goes right through to September. And it starts a little bit before Toronto Pride does as well. We heard from Timmins yesterday and Julie. Uh, who's already had Pride festivities and for the first time had to hire security. So this was costed out by FIOK Canada Pride. They said, listen, we need $1.5 million to do this. And uh, we stepped to it and said, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's what we announced yesterday. Marcy Ian's our guest on Toronto Today. People ask me where, where we are, and you mentioned um, an uptick in um, threats and an uptick in concern from from organizers and, and people in the entire community and I always answer like this and I want to run it past you. I think far more people are on the right side of the big issues than ever before, far more than, than politicians were 25 years ago, or let's say our parents. The problem is the fringe. And I think they're, they're emboldened. They're sometimes organized. They can stay anonymous and sometimes they feel provoked and it doesn't justify it. But I watch some of the vitriol and discourse and, and I get why it ends up being concerning. Do we lose sight of the fact that this is a great country to be yourself in. People want to come here so they can be their self and be free from even government prosecution about who they are and who they want to love. You're, you know what, Greg? It's such, it's such a good point. And Sherwin made this point yesterday at the press conference. He said, people come to Toronto Pride to be themselves. People travel from far and wide, and it is at Pride, that they can actually be themselves. And the reality is they may go back to other places and they're back in the closet. That's what Toronto represents. But at the same time, 
you know, we have places and school boards and other things that don't want to raise the flag. And I have to tell you, um, you know, a third of the people in our country, a third of Canadians that identify as 2SLGBTQI+, are 25 and under, the young people. And so as a parent, I think about that. As the cabinet minister responsible for gender and all genders across this country, I think about that. And I think about what we can be doing as parents in our homes, what we can be doing and saying to our kids. You know, young people tell me, listen, that pride flag is just a gesture that says, we see you. I see you. You're safe here. And, you know, schools are provincial jurisdictions. But we as the federal government will always work with community organizations on that piece of education Mm. and community and how that works, because kids are talking a lot about this, too. They are this. I I agree with you. I think I think we forget sometimes that our parents, um, you and I going to school, our parents, I think since the beginning of time, parents have always debated Sex education, what should start when, what's in the home, what's in the school. And I, I see those debates framed now, Marcy, as, as sometimes absolutely everything you laid out, inclusion, equality, all of it matters so much. But I also think those debates are kind of kind of tough to dump. There's always going to be somebody that says, please let me handle some of this at home. Like, I, I think this passes from generation. And I think we forget even what the 70s and 80s were like. You know, Judy Bloom's this amazing author. They just made a movie for Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Right. And I remember that being a controversy as to whether some... So I, I, I never yeah. feel like those are hateful debates, but I, uh, your point's well made in that there, there's more threats and there's more fringe out there than everything. But we're always going to have these conversations about what kids should know when, right? Absolutely. We're always going to have them. But kids will surprise you. You know, I have an 11-year-old that's got a ton of questions. Mm-hmm. So as, as parents, we've got to listen and understand when, because those conversations will happen without us. And they may happen when kids are 9 and 10 and 11 years old. And they, we may think, they're not ready. We don't want to discuss this. But the fact of the matter, Greg, is that they will be discussed in the schoolyard without us. If we're not in tune, they will. They will. And uh, you can imagine uh, Mrs. Brady, my mom, not my wife, getting um, the Sports Illustrated <laughs> swimsuit issue out of the mailbox at a, when I'm 11, Marcy, and going, not sure, <laughs> not sure about this cover and this model and this lack of a bathing suit. Yeah. But but that that happens. One more on on the parade itself. Um, I, I look at the scenario, and um, one thing that makes me sad is the the gap between. The organizers, the events, and where we are with Toronto Police. I know what started it. I know why that's there. I know why that tension is there. I, I hope there's a resolution at some point in time. I, I know there's people that feel there's an irony in asking for more security and more of a police presence from a, a parade that doesn't really want police recognized in the parade. Do you hope? Are you hopeful that we get people around a table and we start conversations and we start looking forward instead of back and, and find a way? through this, it's a bit of a chasm right now, right? I think we'd all admit that. Looking forward is is always the way. And I'll tell you that with this plan, it's about community leading it, right? So Mm -hmm. um, Fierte Canada's plan included infrastructure and emergency services and training support, and police services are part of that. But each organization can pick and choose what they want to do within that. So if they want training and support, if they want police, whatever they want, they get. This is up to them, and it's community-led. And that's what's so important here. It isn't one-size-fits-all. It's here to say Canada Pride saying, listen, there's 65 organizations under our umbrella. 
And even if you aren't, we've got a plan for you, too. And you can pick and choose what you'd like. But we could have a gay or lesbian police officer in Toronto listening, going, I don't I, I feel a bit estranged by this process here. And I want to be more I want to be more part of it. And I would encourage everybody to be a part of this. Listen, I was um, and those with me yesterday were mm. talking about um, leaders. So whether it is, you know, politicians, uh, whether it is, you know, principals, mm -hmm. whether it is that person that you're talking about listening right now, it is absolutely a time to come together. We're talking about inclusive inclusivity. We've got to talk about complete Com inclusivity. Completely. Marcy, thanks for the time this morning. Always enjoy our conversations, and uh, I hope you're, uh, pr you're prepped for a, a great summer with your family, and, and let's talk again soon. We'll talk soon, Greg. Thank you so much. Have a great day. You bet. Marcy Ian joining us on Toronto Today.